You know what they say, third time's a charm, chum. Three is a magic number. Hello, and welcome to Third Time's a Charm, the show that takes an in-depth look at the third installment of a franchise. This is episode 27, Return of the Living Dead, part 3. I'm your host, Dead Mike. And welcome to a special mid-month Third Time's a Charm. It's scary October and Halloween season all month long on the network, so I was happy to be able to get an extra episode about a Part 3 horror movie in. Today my guest is once again my unofficial co-host, Brian Late Night Rodriguez of the High School Slumber Party Podcast. It was really nice to show Brian some non-comedic horror from the 90s and to get his take on some zombie action. I think this is the first zombie movie that I've watched here on Third Time's a Charm, but take my word for it, it won't be the last. Now, this is going to be kind of a quick intro. Right away, I want to get to No Part 3. No, 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 Part 3. Today on No Part 3 is a movie that we actually mentioned on the show today. It goes by the name of Chud. Cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, now, Chud 1 is pretty straightforward. You know, it's like uh, things going on in the sewer in New York City. Homeless people disappear in. You know, cops go down there. Mutants. Monsters. Not, not bad. It's a pretty good one. Then you got Chud 2. Bud the Chud. Which, alright, now takes it in a completely different direction. This movie's insane. I love it. It's hilarious. Uh, it's it's a straight-up comedy, I'll tell you that, and it's kind of more in line with the Return of the Living Dead series. The chuds come back as walking, talking chuds above ground, and uh, it's very zombie-like. It's a gas, I gotta tell you. Now, what I really want is a Chud 3. Where are you, Chud 3? Come on, it's time to bring it back. I mean, give it to Jordan Peele or something. But then again, was us Chud 3? I don't know. It's close enough. I'll take it. Anyway, no part three, y'all. No, 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 Part three. So now without any further ado, grab your dead girlfriend, dose her with some trioxin, and get ready for a night from hell, because it's time to get zombified. Right, so happy Halloween, Brian. How are you doing? Good, good. You know, I've been watching a lot of these horror films. I'm knee deep in them, so you know, got, I got some interesting takes. I'm, I'm getting the language down, uh, but you know, it, it'll be nice in November when things change a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is a big month for the network, as always. Is I feel like we all love to celebrate horror on all of our different shows as much as we can, or at least, you know, scary movies. It's scary season. Uh, October, Halloween, and I'm trying to squeeze this extra episode in this month. We just finished doing the Slumber Party Massacre series here and then over uh, at your place on the High School Slumber Party feed. Go check out one and two over on Brian's feed and then part three over on mine. But I wanted to sneak in some, you know, some kind of more straightforward horror, something... I don't know, a little more in a more classic style, but also, Mm -hmm. you know, of its time. Uh, So tonight we're going to be discussing Return of the Living Dead Part 3. So I guess I just want to start off by asking, uh, Brian, you know, by now everyone understands you're... (laughs) <laughs> you're not as much a novice now as you used to be, but you know, you're still learning and growing and finding your way in the horror franchise. Are you at all familiar with Return of the Living Dead, Night of the Living Dead? Uh, does any of this ring a bell? Have you seen any of these? I don't remember when it was, but you, I, and Joey were talking about this once and in terms of what I knew, and I really thought that Return of the Living Dead was just the sequel to Night of the Living Dead. I didn't realize it was his own thing. I've heard of all these movies, but really I have no experience with any of them. So this was 
brand new to me. Well, I guess I want to just give you a little background then. Um, you know, there's the world famous classic Night of the Living Dead. And that one's like black and white? Or am I crazy? Yep, it's black and white um, from the 60s. And, you know, it was directed by George Romero, loosely based on the Richard Matheson novel I Am Legend. Uh, mm. But he had a partner back then, this guy Dan O'Bannon. And after the success of Night of the Living Dead, they sort of um, had a difference of opinion, basically, on where they should take the zombie franchise. So they amicably split and each sort of took different aspects of the concept and ran with it. All of George Romero's movies are called, so he's got Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, mm. you know, Land of the Dead. Everything of his is of the dead, and all of O'Bannon's films are Return of. So it's Return of the Living Dead, Return of the Living Dead 2, 3, Part 4 is Necropolis, Part 5 is Rave to the Grave. We don't really talk about those so much. <laughs> uh, but, you know, basically the first film uh, split and kind of created two separate franchises. Quickly, because I know we're going to talk more about O'Bannon, but can I just ask you a question? I've heard this term bandied about before when people are like, oh, that's a classic Romero zombie. What does that mean? So the basic difference between the two is Romero zombies are the slow shuffling ones that you know, uh, okay. just kind of reach out and, and grab at you. And O'Bannon's zombies became known for the ones that crave brains. They're the ones that talk. They say brains, brains. Um, in, in Return of the Living Dead, they actually run around a lot. So, like, they're, they're fast zombies. Uh, in this movie, you know, we'll get to it, but there's a very sort of conscious zombie <laughs> in, the, in one of the main characters, right? So those are the general differences as far as the creatures. And then as far as the tone, you know, Romero movies are way more socially conscious, you know, uh, sort of not entirely by accident with the first movie, but definitely two and three and the rest of them, he's, you know, they're allegories. He's trying to say something important and be political. And they're great for that. O'Bannon's are just big parties. Like they're just fun sort of, you know, comedy, horror, gore fests, pure eighties, nineties types of fun. So those are the general differences between the, the two series. Yeah, because I've definitely heard, especially like more the Romero, like I've definitely heard people say like, oh, that's such a classic Romero zombie thing they're doing there. You know, now I know, now I know what they mean. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he has definitely, you know, become more well known or, you know, he has passed, uh, rest in peace, George Romero. But like, he, he's definitely the one who is uh, considered sort of the grandfather, I guess, of the modern zombie because of that. And I feel like, you know, Dan O'Bannon sort of gets lost in the mix a little bit. Um, it's, it is what it is and everything. I think he was, his movies, like I said, they, they're more political, like he was a little more of an indie artist very more sort of like when he had a chance he'd be more outspoken he was latin american too so like that that was really great like he's you know a latin american horror film director mm. and yeah so it's i mean i love both series for what they are uh, but tonight we are here to talk about return of the living dead 3 so brian i mean let's just start with some general thoughts about this Con you know sort of um compare it a little bit to what you've been watching lately for your show the kind of horror that you've been exposed to what were some of your like general impressions well um i never like to do these third times a charm things cold turkey you know i don't like to just watch the third film i mean i i could have for this one uh but i sort of lazily watched the first two of this Return of the Living Dead franchise. And first of all, the first one is, like, amazing, you know? Like, it, it's really good. And it's maybe I'm just watching too many of these films that I'm saying that, but, like, that was, to me, the perfect balance of if you want something to be funny and gore and you want me to care... Like, I don't know why. I watched the entire film, and I, like I said, I meant to kind of half-ass watch it, but I started caring. Two things that really, and I, and I think they come back in this one, so it's not just completely off pace. but two things from the first one um, that really stuck out on, at me was, again, I don't know people's names or anything like that, or characters, but when they have that half a zombie, and they're, they have it tied down to the table, and they're questioning it, it's the first time I've ever seen a, a zombie movie, like, motive for what they're doing. And essentially she says, like, she's constantly, not in the way that I'm saying it now, obviously she's screaming zombie-like, but that she's constantly 
in pain and the only way to dull the pain is by eating people eating brains i think it says i was like huh that makes sense and i could almost feel for the zombies a little bit and then again like i said it was funny but violent and the fact at the end that they just end up nuking denver i was like what (laughs) but again i enjoyed it i got like the camp the rules in that were clear and it made sense as silly as it was i think from watching these horror films and maybe scream has taught me this too that like rules are important you could have the most absurd world you know possible like whatever your imagination brings to you but if it's balanced by some rules then i can like get with it you know so return of the living dead 2 less rules in that one that was a complete shit show that one like no offense to the people who made it but that one i could not even get into that one like some zombies are like romero zombies and some zombies can have like almost complete conversations it's weird. It felt like they tried to remake the first one, but very poorly. Yeah, I think you just nailed it. Uh, that's one of the first zombie movies I saw at a sleepover, and it feels like a, a remake of Return of the Living Dead, but like PG-13 instead of mm. R. Because the first one has a naked woman walking through the entire movie, basically. You know, And they kind of bring that back a little bit in this with her zombie design, if you, you know, that's yeah. a little kind of holdover. But the second one is, you know, basically what happens if there's a zombie outbreak break in your suburban community and it's this little kid and all this stuff so it's it's way more designed for like a, a kid to watch or an introductory horror film or something like that but yeah that first one's total legit absolutely love it yeah and i i this one i know goes in a completely different direction uh part three I don't know if it has the comedy. It seems like they dropped the comedy element here in part three. But it's certainly trying to have more of a cohesive story. And the story did feel pretty cohesive for what it is, you know. Yeah, well, I actually had a chance to listen to the director's commentary by Brian Usna. And he said, like, he was basically given free reign and they wanted to sort of tone down the comedy and sort of move away from that. And he was actually thinking more in line with Romero and trying to sneak in sort of social commentary here and there. And I think we can get into that in a little bit. But yeah, definitely sort of like shied away from the schlocky fun fest and it's sort of more of like um you know like a horror fest like there's some really gruesome stuff and like really mind-bending ideas going on in this movie yeah no i mean it's it's interesting like like I said, it's pretty cohesive, so I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, just real quick with, about this director. I didn't find out until afterwards, but it makes perfect sense. He directed a couple other horror movies I really liked. One of them I subjected Andrea to called Society, which everyone's got to check out Society. Oh, yeah, you've, you've been talking about this one. Yeah, I've been mentioning it a bit lately. And he also directed Bride of Reanimator and the one after that. I think it's The Return of Reanimatorism, but Bride of Reanimator is my favorite of that series. And there's a lot of like crazy headless horror stuff going on with practical effects and all that kind of thing yeah he's really he knows what he's doing i feel when it comes to this type of horror yeah a very few directors i've noticed just dip their toe into these kind of films like you either direct these films or you don't you know Yeah, so let's get into it. What I love about the way this starts is you don't, you know, like you said, you don't really have to have seen the previous movies or stuff, but if you have, like, it feels sort of like a continuation, like they're cleaning up after the last couple of movies. Uh, But we, we open with the government basically testing on zombies. Like, they have the toxin, which is from all the way back in the first movie, Trioxin. Do you remember the story, the old guy at at the place tells they're like at a medical supply store. Do you remember what he says about the trioxin gas and how it, and how it was first created? I see at this point I wasn't taking the movie seriously, so so you're going to have to refresh my memory. He he talks about how the government developed this gas to basically kill all the marijuana that's like in America oh, or like yeah, around they, the world basically. They mention it. Yeah, they mention it in this one too. Uh, it accidentally like creates zombies and they have to contain them in these giant canisters and stuff and now when this starts they're they're basically like trying to turn them into weapons and stuff. We're, yeah. We open like at the military base with them like working on a zombie. Yeah, I mean that's just kind of the thread uh, that ties all the films together. But I don't know if they're existing in the same world because again, Denver has been nuked 
and no one seems to like acknowledge this or care. I don't know, especially in the second one. But forget about the second one. Sorry, continue. No, it's okay. I mean, <laughs> you know, you can take it as a literal sequel or just, you know, sort of like an anthology series, which is kind mm-hmm. of the way like I think it's supposed to be taken. I mean, I don't know if even the Romero ones are have a continuity to them. It's hard to say, to be quite honest. It's, I'm not really sure. I mean, you could line them up. But it's, you know, they work on their own as as uh, independent films. You know, this is really cool because, like, you know, I've always wondered, like, what's the government going to do? Like, you know, they're there to, like, you always see them in movies as, like, cleanup and stuff. But I never, it always sort of slips my mind about, like, after, what are they going to do with all this shit? And, like, to do this, to have, like, the zombie army is, like, a pretty crazy idea like could you imagine if america went to war and we just like unleashed a bunch of zombies on the enemy (laughs) it is it is an interesting idea um we see this in a lot of films not just horror films um we see it in a lot of superhero films how many times is the plot like oh this thing is being invented to make the super soldier uh you know from spider-man to captain america so this is just it just reminded me of that like how can we use the even even the freaking new jurassic parks like that's the Speaking of superheroes, real quick, the woman military person here is, uh, she plays Ursa in Superman 1 and 2, the evil evil Kryptonian woman. But this is, yeah, then this would be ahead of its time in a lot of ways about talking about, like, super soldiers and things like that, you know, that's very commonplace now. And I don't know if you've heard of this movie Overlord that came out toward the end of last year with Kurt Russell's son, but uh, it's like a World War II movie and kind of finds out that Nazis are creating zombie soldiers sort of in the same way. I didn't know that film was about that. Here's where we're introduced to the father that is going to be sort of predominant throughout the movie. But then we have the, the woman from Superman 2. And then we have the grandfather from Charles in Charge. Have you, yeah. have you seen Charles in Charge? <laughs> One of the only two actors I recognized in this film was the the old guy from Charles in Charge. Uh, to be fair, I wasn't like, oh my god, old guy from Charles in Charge. I'm like, I was like, what sitcom is this guy in? Because I knew it. And then uh, when I looked it up, I'm like, oh, duh, Charles. Charles in charge. Really quickly, the other person I recognized was actually the lead woman who becomes a zombie, uh, Melinda Clark. If anyone here is a fan of The O.C., she has a very, very, very big role in that show. She's like one of the main characters in that show. She has very distinct, like, eyes. Uh, She's been in a bunch of other stuff, I know that, like TV stuff mostly. But uh, that's where I knew her from. And she plays Julie, and we're introduced to her here where, like, she's with a bunch of friends just, like, kind of hanging out at the point. Like, they're on a a cliff hanging out, and warning signs are going up already because she's, like, burning her hand. She's, like, doing the, you know, the flame test on herself. Uh, But, Brian, are these high school kids? Could you tell what age we're dealing with here? Like, her boyfriend's going to show up, and he looks like he stepped out of an L.L. Bean catalog. (laughs) She's kind of like a, a rocker type of girl you know in leather and everything i honestly don't know i was trying to figure that out myself if they're not high school kids they're like wayward i mean i want to say college age but you know just like people who learn are not necessarily in college but they're young folk but i don't think it's clear if they're high school kids or not no not really this whole movie only takes place over a day or so (laughs) which is crazy and yeah so i mean it could be a weekend it could be summertime they could be out of school very hard to tell yeah so so far it's just you know pretty quick setup and then we're going to get right like we've already met all the characters because it's mostly going to be about kurt and julie they sort of romeo and juliet of the story here we go back to the base the military base and we see like one of the experiments going on and this is why i want to ask you like how did you what did you think about this experiment with the skinny zombie sort of in the red straps pretty good sequence what did you think about this one um i thought you know i thought it was super cool and honestly maybe because i do the high school film thing over on high school slumber party i loved um the kids for lack of a better word watching it happen it it, it added an element of i don't know just back to like the first two and back to a lot of these zombie films they're usually very ensemble and i know this was an ensemble film as well but i liked having like two main like leads like this in the kids and as they're watching this and again the effects i have to say the effects in like all these are not too bad considering the times you know i think we'll get some really really cool effects in this one all things considering but it it was a great opener for me because 
I don't know, like, I keep saying coherent because this one had a story throughout. Now, people might not like that story, that's fine, but I didn't feel like we were bouncing around a lot, and I appreciated that. We have all our principles, except for the gang and, I forgot the guy's name, we'll Riverman. Help some later. Yeah, <laughs> the Riverman. Except for, like, the gang and the Riverman, we pretty much have all our principles in a room at the beginning of this movie. Yeah, that's right. They, like, steal his dad's security key card because they want to know what's going on. They think they're, like, doing animal experiments, I think, or something fishy. And then they're witness to, like, the horrific zombie experiment. It's really cool. Like, yeah, like, everybody, it's, they don't know that they're all in the same scene together. But basically, every, most of the people in the movie have already, you know, we're seeing them all together in a sequence. It's really cool. Like, I love how they have the freeze bullet and they shoot it in the zombie's head to sort of knock him out for a while so they can recontain him um, but they like miss and the zombie like goes berserk and it eats a scientist and then the scientist comes back to life or comes back from the dead I should say and like it all just you see how fast it can spread just in that little room and how you know careless you got to be really careful like around these things and um, I just really liked right off the bat all this um gore and stuff and it's all practical effects and it's it's there's a lot of it it's really nice yeah and they don't and they don't waste time on sort of the origin part of the film i think anyone who's seeing a third of a franchise of a zombie movie kind of gets more or less how this thing works they just explain pretty much what they're doing but it's clear they know what they're up against because as soon as the other guy gets infected the other scientists they're like keep him here we need to monitor him you know they're not like oh my god they're upset but it's they're not like you know because like oh what are we going to tell washington kind of upset it's not like holy shit what is this kind of upset they know what they're doing well, well i mean they know what they're dealing with but they, they don't know really what they're doing <laughs> it doesn't seem like they know what they're but they understand like yes they are the living dead and right one gets bit it'll come back there's got to be containment protocols all that kind of thing and so, you know what is uh what do these kids do as soon as like they find out that this is happening they go back home and they have sex <laughs> yes they do we get our we get our mandatory horror film boob scene because they have sex you know like something bad's gonna happen because this movie came out like well that was pretty still a pretty popular trope you know this is like a mid 90s straight to video release but like you said you know we're at the third in a series like yeah it's it's got a little bit of everything and it's not like it's even gratuitous nudity it's just like oh they're both shirtless they're making out that kind of thing it's clear they really like each other <laughs> but then the dad comes home and he's been reassigned because his little like shenanigans over at the base went out of hand and everything and gets into a big argument with his dad and he's gonna run away and brian you must have you must be familiar with this kind of stuff right? <laughs> i think i think these kids are in high school now that I think about it. We're, we're getting all, yeah, like the tropes, though, you know. He does have a motorcycle, so if they're in high school, I think they're probably older high school kids. James had a motorcycle on Twin Peaks, so he was in high school. I mean, it's possible. Twin Peaks, who knows when it takes place? <laughs> <laughs> they're definitely not, like, dorky freshmen. Like, no, they're, I... <laughs> they're the very least seniors, I think. That's my hypothesis. They're, that's why I think like they're younger because they just decide to like run away or go on the run. Like they're just in love. They want to be together. They decide to run away and they get a little frisky on the motorcycle and they get into an accident. Oh, just sorry, quickly, not to cut you off, but I just wanted to mention just like the dad. You know, when he's telling him that they're moving, like his just clear disapproval of the girl like he does not like her and he's gonna like her a lot less later in this film so just wanted to get that in there yeah because i wondered about that too like it seems like you know he's like she's corrupting you or all this stuff like that seems to be the gist of it and i don't know if they were trying to make it be like he was more of a goody two-shoes and then he met this girl and she has like this wild streak and it's rubbing off on him and stuff like i can't like why does he have a motorcycle then why does he have like some metal clothes but also like i said earlier like looks like he's you know going to vermont <laughs> you know like on a fall afternoon sometimes like it's really hard to sort of peg in the beginning like why they're together well i don't know if you notice a line that the dad said and he's been like oh you've been really hard to like handle the last like three weeks 
Hmm. Something like that, where it's not like, oh, these last, uh, you know, month or this year. From this film, it seems like he just started dating her a couple weeks ago, and maybe he's, like, changing his entire personality around. They don't certainly act like they've only been dating a couple weeks, so I was kind of confused by that line. But then again, that is, that sort of goes into the Romeo and Juliet thing, if they're just Mm. in love instantly, like they're from two different worlds, it doesn't matter, something about that, they just attracted to each other. Yeah, we certainly get a Romeo and Juliet ending, so that's a good call right there. They go on the run, and it doesn't really last too long because um, she starts to, like, put the moves on him while driving the motorcycle, and he's trying to dodge a giant semi-truck, and she goes flying off the motorcycle and cracks right into a telephone pole. Once this happened, it really started to click with me, like, oh, okay. This is one of the few, I guess, horror films, or zombie films, rather, where the inciting incident like has a purpose has a reason a lot of them are just like chaos like oh we don't know how the zombies got here but now we have to deal with it or the zombies are here what do we do kind of situations this one he knows the zombie power and he's purposely going to use it to bring her back kind of frankenstein-y in a sense yes and then when i found out this guy directed some of those reanimator movies this is very much like that too as far as his character just the idea of anything to be together again sort of thing like yeah i'll I'll take sort of the uh, monster version if i have to um or just not even thinking of the consequences you know and playing with mad science and all that but you also hit on something I think is really interesting is that one reason I love this movie so much is because like for the rest of it one of the main characters is going to be a zombie like we're actually going to be able to hear how she feels like what it's like all this kind of different stuff like that's that's pretty novel you know like we don't and like you said earlier it's mostly like the shit hits the fan we're stuck with a group of survivors we don't know what's going on here we're sort of getting all the information yeah and while time is a weird thing I don't know why she takes so long to kind of go to full zombie mode, but other zombies, it's super quick. I don't know if that's exactly explained. But I was drawing back on the first film because a lot of the rules they set in that film, they brought back for this film, but almost more drawn out. Like, she's even saying, again, when she becomes a zombie, I don't know how far you want to skip ahead, but she's even saying things like, you know, the pain, that she needs to cut herself or, like, do stuff for the pain like that. And she just is so hungry and she's craving this. And I agree with you. It was actually pretty cool to see. Now, what I really like is the scene where uh, the kid breaks back into the base with her and she's just, like, weekend at Bernie's on the back of his motorcycle. She's just, like, kind of propped up there. (laughs) The base guard's like, go right ahead. The worst base security ever, by the way. It's pretty bad. (laughs) <laughs> but he, like, dresses up in gear and, like, gets into the room with the trioxin and releases the gas and brings her back. And I think one of the things is, Brian, like, she didn't have a very gruesome death, right? Like, there's no real external damage. So if she came back really quickly, she's going to be kind of fresh, right? There's no, like, gore to her yet. I also feel like because she came back so fast, she has, like, her cognizance about, like, she's kind of conscious. She uh, doesn't really know what happened, right? It's just like, I, I fell asleep for a second and now I'm back. And he has to tell her, like, all this stuff. And she's like, wait, what do you mean I'm dead? This and that. And so, like, I like that, too. Like, we've never really gotten that level of, like, awareness from a zombie before. And you're right. It is going to sort of take her the entire movie to sort of come to terms with the craving and you know there's a lot of sort of body dysmorphia and like body horror and all that kind of stuff going on later but yeah she instantly comes back from the dead but it takes her a while to like sort of become a full zombie yeah later we're gonna get some extremely gory deaths and like they come back like horrifying (laughs) what did you think about their escape from the base you know when they run into sort of like the melted man Oh, yeah. No, I thought that was cool. Yeah, and there's sort of um, a gag with this zombie. Like, he's um, he's all, like, melted together and, like, smushed to one side, but then he, like, tears himself apart almost in half, and you see, like, his skull exposed, and I don't know, I thought that was a really great gag. It's cool. The least thing I'm into, though, with these films is, like, the gore. Not that I'm, like, grossed out necessarily, I'm just... I like it when it's clever, and I thought this was okay, I thought this was clever, but it's not something that, for me personally, it's not something I look forward to. Like, I don't think, if it wasn't for a podcast, that I would go see just, like, a straight gore film. You must like what they do with this, like, convenience store scene, because, I mean, I mean it, like, seriously, like, I think this is a really interesting sequence, right, where 
they escape the lab and she's like super hungry and she doesn't know what to do so he takes her to the convenience store and there's like those latino guys playing street fighter 2 yeah i mean look i'm not particularly happy being a latino person that like the gang of bad guys is are all latino people but (laughs) at least they were in the movie and, and they're a pretty diverse set in itself. Like, I was looking up the actors, and there's actually a Dominican actor, which I was surprised about. But uh, there's also a Filipino actress in the group. There's a lot of other countries represented in this, like, pan-Latino-slash-Filipino <laughs> gang. So it is what it is. No, but I, I liked the element that that added in terms of the danger is not just her becoming a zombie. Now they're being, like, kind of hunted by this gang because of the actions at this... Uh, convenience store. Now, the one thing I'll say is, I think everyone watching this movie knew that every single member of this this gang was going to be a zombie at some point. (laughs) Yeah, because just about everybody in the movie becomes one. Yeah, pretty much. But give me a good brawl scene, and I'm all for it. Well, I like this sequence because, like, you know, she starts eating all the junk food, and it's not doing it, and she ends up biting one of those, um, one of the gang members. I don't, I'm not even sure they're really a gang, but they do end up trying to rob the place and they accidentally shoot the owner. What's hilarious is like they're trying to get away and, and the owner comes out with the gunshot and he's like, take me to the hospital, right? <laughs> and, and then like the cops show up immediately and he's like, stop, I know the cops. And the cops open fire on them and like kill the owner of the bodega. It, it's like madness. And there's like a high-speed chase. They duck yeah. down an alley. Like, it's insane. I mean, I thought it kept the film moving. It really uh, kept the pace up. This one didn't feel like, what is it, an hour 30 probably? It didn't really drag. Like, was it the most interesting story? Maybe not, but in terms of, like, they certainly knew how to, like, get through the lull moments. And this was a great way to do that. Yeah, I feel like there aren't very many of those lulls mm-hmm. in this at all. Like, maybe when we get down to the Riverman or whoever that guy, <laughs> uh, the, the Rat King. But, but that's something the Romero ones kind of are known for, or at least that I know him for and love him for, is like he's actually one of the few guys It's like I feel is able to take his movie and just pump the brakes and have like two or three scenes where the main characters just have conversations about life, the universe, or whatever, you know, what's going on, just like the meaning of life and shit, and like, then it's like back to zombies. But there's none of that kind of stuff in this, or in this series, in this like sort of offshoot of the dead series, for that matter, really. I mean, it's a tricky thing, right? Like, uh, pacing in these horror films in general can be a very tricky thing. They could really make and break the film. I think in film in general, but especially like with these horror films from watching again you know i'm not the expert but from watching some of them some of the worst ones are the ones that move just from like set piece to set piece without some kind of coherent tone and this one yeah it moves from set piece to set piece i think there was no point where i'd given up on the story maybe i was close with the river man (laughs) (laughs) maybe i was close there but in actuality there was no time when i was just like all right where the hell is this going and you know, maybe in the Romero ones, which I haven't seen, if, you know, he does it well, maybe the dialogue's interesting at that point, you know? I don't know if this one had the capability for interesting dialogue, necessarily. There wasn't too much thought-provokingness in this one, but that's fine. Like, I was I was in it for the ride. For me, what I like is that every setup is paid off, you know? Like, they don't, there's no waste here. Like, it's... And maybe that's a detriment to a degree where it's like it feels like a very empty movie except for the main people who are you know except for this is gonna sound dumb but it it seems like there's no one in it except for the people in it like there's no extras (laughs) you know what i mean like it must take place at like four in the morning and and, in a deserted city um like it's just the bare necessities here and you know like we talked about with the slumber party massacre films like those don't waste any time either. Super economical. It's like we're at the slumber party. We're going to actually spend time in the premise. And I think like that's what this movie does well is like it's able to actually spend time with this couple as they go on this sort of journey on this like horrible night together with all these little pit stops that end up coming together at the end like culminating back like sort of where it all started and everything and and you get to track her journey as she becomes more undead and their whole relationship and they you know they 
break up, they get back together. It's funny because, again, like, the, this is so much, If whether it is or isn't, this is so many tropes of a high school movie that it was just like, I wasn't even phased by that. Like, I, I think maybe in this genre it's something different. But for me, it's, it's like what I watch all the time. So it's weird because this is a really a relationship movie. Now, I read one criticism of the film. And I was trying to figure out if I agreed with it or not. And I'm kind of on the fence. One of the criticisms was like that this film is a bit exploitative of, again, we keep saying her, but do we know her name? The, the girl zombie? Yeah, it's Julie. You know, like Juliet. Oh, duh. Woo. That was easy. <laughs> so Julie, a lot of people are saying like, oh, this is this was just a way to get like a hot girl zombie. Like that's the draw. Mm. Well, you know? that I mean, if they saw the first one, you know, if they saw Return of the Living Dead, they'd know that's not that it's been done, right? Like, first of all, there's like a punk rock girl in that movie who like gets naked in the graveyard like very early on <laughs> and stays naked until she is bitten by a zombie and then comes back as a naked zombie. So, I mean, that is way more of an exploitation sort of vibe going on there. It's a very sort of like a party vibe in that movie. Here, you know, I'm thinking they're on to something but they're they sort of the wrong kind of something like it's not i don't think that it's the idea that we have like this pin-up zombie kind of thing although like you know there's nothing wrong with that and i actually find it quite interesting and alluring and like a whole other like avenue to go down but what i was thinking about watching this that kind of was like oh the reason this seems like provocative to me is you have this girl who's cutting herself saying she can't feel unless she has pain she's like piercing covering herself with piercings and piercings were huge in the 90s but also so was like you know you hear a lot about people with like massive depression or disorders and stuff that cut are cutting Mm -hmm. themselves and you know I, i just you hear just in the 90s especially it was generally you heard about young women who had this problem and then also on top of that you know she's like has an eating disorder Right? Like a severe eating disorder here going on. So I thought the movie was trying to say like that kind of stuff. And I wasn't sure if if this was necessarily like the right place. But I think it kind of is. Like I think when you think about Romero and how he tried to say stuff with his zombie films, I think this guy might be trying to say something like that. I mean, he's not making it his full point. It's not his thesis. Um, but I definitely think there's like something going on there. Yeah, yeah. And again, like you're hitting on some good points here. And that's why I did not 100% agree with a lot of these criticisms. And again, you know, we both could be wrong. But we are exploring the character. In the first one, that character is not explored at all. And do we know a lot about her? No, we know more about the guy, certainly. But we're learning about her personality, at the very least. And it's, it's something that's, uh, I don't know. I was drawn into this couple. There's something like I'm rooting for them, right? Like something kicks in where it's like I want, I know it's not going to ever turn out right, right? Like, you know, it's inevitable that, you know, she's a zombie. There's no way that she's ever going to come back to life, that they could leave it, live a normal life, whatever that is or any of that. But I'm still rooting for them. There's something about them. As much as like a badass as they seem in the first act, when this all starts to go down, they seem much more naive and scared and all that. So it's interesting to see sort of a flip of that. Like I almost imagine them to be more in control, but they basically just freak out for like 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and honestly, would you have wanted it any other way? Like, I think it would have been super corny if they found a serum and she was able to survive and they just lived happily ever after. So like, even though we know it's headed to be doomed, like that's the way it should be. So back to when they were doing their big getaway from the corner store, you know, they like duck down the alley after they get the the whole van gets like shot up by the cops and then out pops the store owner as a zombie missing like half his head. And this is when Julie like goes full brains and like has to eat his brains and everything like that. And, And this is sort of where like all the piercing starts. The military shows up right after they leave and they go from like a containment thing to I think that's when they're like, oh, um, you know, no holds barred kind of containment, like kill everybody involved, you know, like that kind of thing. So the dad's kind of pissed about that. They should have some kind of protocol. 
like a gas system or something, but maybe it doesn't work. Well, they have the freezer bullets, which I guess, True. you know, that's the best they could come up with. It's better than nothing. Did you get to the end of the second movie? Do you remember how they ended up killing the zombies in the second movie? Ugh, I don't remember. Okay, I mean, so like... If they, you tell me, I'll probably remember. Yeah, they like lure them all to a power plant and then electrocute them all, and that's how you got to kill them. You got to electrocute them. Ah, uh, gotcha. So after the uh, military people come, they go... This is when Julie jumps off the bridge? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Because, I mean, I think she's intending to kill herself, right? Or, like, re-kill herself. Like, maybe... Oh, yes, can, fair. <laughs> she can make it stick this time. This is another moment, though, that kind of, like, stuck out at me, too. Not just teen suicide, but, like, you know, suicide in general. And, like, her character at this point is, like, you know, super full of despair and everything like that. So I almost thought that they were tying that into. And we also get the famous Los Angeles River seen in many of our favorite movies. Many films. Um, Terminator 2, off the top of my head. Yeah. The movie Drive with Gosling. Yeah. They, they drive yeah, through course. it. And of all the effects in this movie, I just got to say, the puppet that they threw off this bridge, it's a puppet. <laughs> like, do a couple takes, guys. Like, figure out something <laughs> about the weight of that thing. That was that that was rough. I don't know if the uh, stats are correct on Wikipedia for this film in terms of, like, budget and how much it made. But according to Wikipedia, it had a $2 million budget. And it only made $54,000. How is that possible? <laughs> so, I mean, that $2 million, I guess it ran out by that point. I can't believe that. That's killing me. That's crazy. I mean, you know, all right, granted, you know, the military base is just a bunch of, like, corridors that they set up in, a, like, a hangar somewhere, you know? And they just used, like, three different hallways for the entire movie. But, like, I feel like the gore effects and all that, that is real it's really top-notch stuff and and you know when julie reveals herself like fully pierced like as like her final form and everything like that looks great there's a lot of great stuff at the end we'll talk about when we go back to the military base like i mean the money is definitely on the screen but it looks like they had so much more than they did that is crazy to me yeah i mean it's very interesting this guy can stretch a buck well i mean except for that except for that yeah that all his stretching and very little to show for it with that very, very, very poor box office showing. So now we come to one of my favorite parts of the movie and my least favorite parts. But I love it when Kurt is just screaming Julie over and over again, looking for Julie's body in the river. He's like, Julie! Julie! <laughs> <laughs> He's not even enunciating, and he's just, like, screaming at the top of his lungs, and it's hilarious. I think every actor, when they get a script and they read through it, they pick out one or two scenes with, like, this is going to be my Oscar moment, you know? And they just try to feel it. And clearly, here, he was just trying to, like, feel the emotion of losing Julie. And then the Riverman shows up. And, uh, Uh, you know, Riverman spouting his homeless wisdom and like this is a completely unnecessary character like this this bothers me like i really wish he wasn't in there because like you know it also it's kind of i mean not kind of but it's like i was getting just flashes of like that needlessly too just like throwing in this magical negro character like why does it have to you know why are we doing this in in the mid 90s like what is what purpose is his character serving in this movie i don't get it it just feels like a like a huge misstep yeah i mean i didn't really understand i'm with you in terms of like it didn't take me out of the film necessarily i just didn't get it it's one of these things like you said he's like a mystical character these like uh black stereotype characters that seem so dated today and then the fact that they just meet him let's be honest he's just like kind of like just a crazy homeless guy whatever and he ends up like playing a pivotal role when he is zombified and they're like i know i'm skipping ahead but like oh remember me remember me kind of thing and then like he ends up helping them right right and, and this is a relationship that's built over what three hours if that yeah looking for julie and like oh man like 
what I was thinking was if they're gonna if they had to do this character like it would have been way more interesting if it was because you know it's basically it could have been any homeless person why not make it a, a woman and then you could sort of juxtapose that with what Julie's going through and uh, you know what I'm saying like it would just give more of a parallel or something or I don't know I understand why you want to have you know because because the director was actually talking about when they were scouting this location like people live down there like that in those you know in the uh, openings of the river and everything they go deep into like you know access chambers and places like that so like people are down there like the river man uh, but not like the river man you know <laughs> <laughs> like make him make him a real person like he even speaks in that weird like broken english which is weird because he's american you know but he has some strange accent like he's uneducated you know it's just very strange stereotype that they're playing with here i tried to see if like this guy was in anything and i couldn't find uh, his name is basil wallace Jamaican born, but he grew up in New York. Now, this is like a guy you would have like Ken Foray come in and do this as like a cameo, you know, because he's known sort of in the horror community, you know, and he has popped up over the years in, as like a leading man. He was in Dawn of the Dead, so it would be cool if he popped up in Return of the Living Dead 3 or something, but like he's done small roles as well, uh, and it's always like cool to see him pop up, so. He was in Blood Diamond, like Mike. One of your favorites, Free Willy 2, The Adventure Home. Was there a Free Willy 3? I'm sure there was, yeah. He played Eddie Murphy's father in Eddie Murphy's Raw. And here he's Riverman, right? Yeah, here he's literally Riverman, so quite the interesting career. He seems to, like, even up to 2013, been uh, TV guest starring, so... This character reminds me of the Rat King from the Ninja Turtles cartoon in the 90s. Did you ever see that cartoon? Yeah, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, there's like Rat King and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, this is also a very 90s trope. Not so much the, um, as we were saying before, but like sewer people, like late 80s, early oh, 90s. Oh, dude, this is, yeah, this is Chud, you know? This is actually um, Mazes and Monsters. The, the early Hanks film. Like, he goes oh. down into the underground of New York City and runs into, like, you know, homeless people living down there and everything like that. I mean, and you mentioned it again with, like, the turtles and stuff. Like, this was, like, kind of a 90s trope here. Uh, sewers? <laughs> sewers, or even, like, Toxic Avenger, like, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it is interesting. Like, I don't know why it's such a random, like, obsession for a time period, but hey, whatever. I also remember in when Jason takes Manhattan, the climax of that takes place in the sewers. They're like running around the New York City sewers. So what's cool now is that that whole gang shows up. One of them, because they're like, they, they're looking for these two, which I thought was kind of interesting. It's like, they're not taking their friend to the hospital. They're going to go get the people who did this. They all meet up in the sewers together and there's like a big zombie showdown. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I guess Riverman got them to the sewer, so it was so bad. But this is a movie of a couple cool brawls, and this is one of them. So this is the part where, like, the gang members are all, like, sort of surrounding the kid, and uh, they're like, where's your girl, this and that, we're gonna get you, and this, and then the door opens, and Julie reveals herself, and she's got, like, glass sticking out of her shoulders, she's got, like, a crazy Freddy claw that she turned her arm into, she's, like, super pierced with nails all over, she's got, like, a rock hanging from her hand, so, like, she can bludgeon people with this thing, <laughs> like, she looks crazy, like, she looks cool, but it's crazy, this design. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's and again, very of the time period, too. I don't know if everyone's gonna get this reference, but I collected a lot of comics in the 90s, and she looks sort of like a Rob Liefeld design. Like, Rob Liefeld designed, um, like, Deadpool and Cable, and, a, and like, he, he's kind of known for just over-the-top, super radical 90s, sort of 90s versions of things, I guess. Like, just taking it sort of too far or to the extreme, maybe? To the extreme, I think it would be, like, the more appropriate thing. So, like, if you look up his drawings of Captain America, there's so, like the, the, like, the body dimensions are, like, so out of whack and stuff. Like, he just, it's over the top and insane. And so, like, this, to me, like, while it's cool and stuff, it just feels like they just, they just kept going and sticking things, like, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like... That's kind of the version of her we see in on the poster. And she's not this version of her for that long in the film, because even later they 
take all the piercings out and stuff. But it is a, it is an image, you know. It's something you don't forget. It is very evocative of of the, it's very 90s, you know. And even in this movie, the kids like they were going to go to Seattle, like that's where they were going to run away from. <laughs> yeah, right? I wrote that down too. There's no more 90s city than Seattle. And they'd fit in perfectly. I mean, now she looks more like Hollywood strip, but before <laughs> they were they were totally fit in with that grunge scene yeah for sure and she goes to town basically like she rips that one guy's head off and and is still attached by his spine that was crazy Ugh. like there's some what do you think what did you think of this like zombie throwdown with all the the gore and all the, the the effects and all the puppetry i mean look it was a little like gorish to me but you knew it was coming and it was cool to see her kick ass yeah, that's what I liked about it, too, is, like, the one guy, like, gets real close and is like, ooh, this is creepy, like, what, is he gonna have, like, you know, necrophilia with it? Like, what is going, like, and for that fact, what is Kurt thinking? Like, is, what is, like... He seems to be into it. I know, he's, like, making out <laughs> with her. They did make out, right, after she became a zombie? I'm not Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was into it. Yeah, they were in the, uh, the Rat King's bed, like, getting it on. <laughs> But I love her zombie strength. Like, I love how she can just, like, rip a head off or, like, bite into a face. And she bites that guy's lip off. That's That was crazy. Yeah. Do you remember that? It, like, revealed the lower part of his skull and everything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I was, I was super focused on her, like I said, kicking ass. Yeah, she bludgeons people with the rock. She, like, scrapes them with her nails. Yeah, the nails. Oof. It's pretty awesome, gotta say. I mean, that's why I, like this movie a lot like i i do think that it's got a very interesting and unique story for a zombie film like we've been talking about like we're following these two people one of the main characters a zombie it's not like a whole group of survivors kind of thing but i am also kind of a gore hound you know like i and you know i think it's this is sort of appropriate like i don't like the saw films you know i don't like it just for the sake of whatever like torture or whatever but we're in a zombie film. It's part three of the Living Dead series. Like, these are more sort of mutant zombie kind of things. Like, yeah, I really expect it to get um, sort of out of control like this. Again, especially at this point in the film. We're, we're almost at the climax. This is like second to last big scene that we're going to get. Um, the movie's like really well shot, I think, you know, for... You know, it looks really nice. The actual, like, construction and production of it and everything is very, very competent. You know, there's no gaps or you know it doesn't feel like anything's really missing as far as like trying to establish where we are or it's very competent on on that level as well so that helps yeah i mean and if you're gonna move away from the comedy i think you have to do that yeah if you're gonna take it seriously if you're gonna take the subject matter serious seriously then also shoot it like more like a serious movie yeah and that is funny because like now that i think about it i think some of the films where maybe it doesn't work they kind of use comedy as an excuse like oh this is just supposed to be funny but again i'll go back to it the first one of the series is funny and good the second one i think there's some tone issues and this one i would say even throws away the comedy completely were there any funny moments for you i mean i no, nothing that felt like intentional you know i think there's intentional, just intentional yeah yeah right like i think there are just moments that are there's dark humor here you know what i'm saying like there's a there's dark comedy but it's not a it's not telling jokes or anything like that but there's some very there's some situations here where you just have to laugh like where you're just like this is so bizarre yeah yeah so like she's like going on this rampage and everything julie's going on her or her zombie feeding frenzy i guess you could say and like everybody she's like eating is coming back as a zombie so we're getting like you know every everybody's gonna come back but then the military finally catches up with them and ices everybody and uh like every, we're at the government base and and everybody's been contained and they've got all these test subjects now the military, well, they feel like they've contained the situation. Everybody has been iced and brought back to the base, and even the kid is in the base. They're like, yeah, let him come inside. Why not? Let him see what we're <laughs> going to do to his girlfriend now. <laughs> Which is so weird. But it's one of these things, again, where it's like, hey, if you ice them all, just realize that you're not going to be able to do this zombie experiment. Quit while you're ahead. But no, they have to continue their experiments. 
Yeah. You know, they've got other canisters filled with other zombies, too, that they're going to be testing on and stuff. Like, these are just, they feel like the freshest, right? Like, this is a whole, like, let's do these guys now because they're awake and everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, maybe there's something to that because the fresher ones seem to yield more interesting results, that's for sure. Like, what they're doing to the Riverman, this, when I first saw it as a teenager, I guess, and then when I just rewatched it, like, this fucking freaked me out just the concept of this and now what they end up doing is they put the riverman zombie in like a exoskeleton which they then control like remotely you know he looks like tom cruise in edge of tomorrow or Mm -hmm. like matt damon (laughs) in elysium but the concept is so fucked up in this instance you gotta go that far to use a zombie as a weapon why like why even what do you even the (laughs) idea that you would even bother to do this trips my mind up so much while I'm watching it you know it's like sometimes it's the ideas that are like that is the true horror for me (laughs) Um, what the what the human mind will think of yeah I was kind of confused by all this I'm trying to like and again I know it's hard you're not supposed to like add too many things together here but is that really worth it like the power it's going to take you to zombify people and then put all these exoskeletons on them control each and every one of them to do individual things in a war it seems excessive but hey it is very government-like to just explore every avenue you know like the u.s government has with diseases right like we've in the past tried to weaponize syphilis and the plague and that ended up being like yeah that's not a good idea so it's not out of the realm of possibility yeah and this is actually something that they bring up in day of the dead which i'll get to some point next year they're sort of holed up in a government base and the scientist he's not trying to look for a cure he's trying to figure out how to like adapt you know he's like there's no real curing them there's only living with them so what are we going to do about it like how can we make that for our benefit you know how can we live with them um and they get into that you know in a very comical way at the end of Shaun of the dead if you've seen Shaun of the dead where they just like zombies become part of the service industry oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that whole thing <laughs> Yeah, but I I agree here, like, you know, I can understand, like, using all of these zombies to try and find some kind of cure, and then, if you have a cure, you could drop a zombie, like, you know, behind enemy lines, he'll kill everybody, and then you can cure the entire place, and everyone will just be dead, right? Like, everyone will just drop dead, all the zombies will die. And by cure, I just mean, you know, not bringing them back to full human, but just stopping them from moving anymore, just like an instant sort of kill switch or something like that, but... Yeah, not practical at all. <laughs> but fine, you know, whatever. You know, I'm still rolling with it, don't get me wrong. Like, it's still cool, but I, it is kind of funny if you think about it. Like, if the whole movie, they were trying to cure the zombies, and the kid comes in and uses the gas to create another zombie, it's like, oh, f- shit, like, you know, we just contained all this stuff, and now he's causing a new outbreak, and we haven't finished the cure yet. Like, it would be an interesting movie. Like, it's not this movie, and I love what this movie is, uh, but maybe that's, you know, a movie for another time period or something. It seems like this genre um, has an unlimited potential in terms of exploring avenues like this, so it wouldn't surprise me if we see it at some point. Basically, there's like a big zombie outbreak in the military base, and it's, you know, pandemonium has broken loose, to use Gorilla Monsoon's phrase, but pandemonium (laughs) has broken loose here at the military base where they've been experimenting on zombies. Who would have thought that this would have happened? (laughs) And it's funny how they don't have like a backup contingency plan. Like if this was underground, you know, you could just bury it all with like a bomb or something like that. Like you don't have to nuke you know, all of Denver or whatever, like, it's sort of a small little, like, area that they're working in in this movie. But... Yeah, we've seen that before in movies, like, where they're like, uh-oh, we have to flood the base, and then they're just like... Yeah, like Resident base. Evil, yeah. Kurt ends up getting bit, trying to protect Julie from a zombie, I believe. Like, that was kind of like, I'm like, he's she's dead, or like, if she gets bit... <laughs> Again, like, no big deal, but you get bit, and you, like, throw yourself in front of... (laughs) Yeah, I had that same question. It's like, 
what's the point, dude? <laughs> I think that's why, I, you know, as the movie goes on and on, I keep thinking they're younger and younger because of, like, the choices they're making and the decisions that they go with and everything. And, you know, he's just not thinking this through. Like, he ne- he should have just left that base with his dad. You know, there's, not, you know, I don't want to sound crass or anything, but there's other fish in the sea, like ones that are still alive, you know, ones that are not a walking abomination. No matter how gorgeous she is, I get it, but... <laughs> Yeah, and two, you know she's gonna die. You know, you know there's no hope here. She's already dead. Or okay, not, not die, but you know she's not gonna like. You're not gonna live happily ever after. Yeah, she's gonna further descend into zombie madness. I guess is what I meant. Pretty much, she's just gonna be a screaming thing in an exoskeleton, holding a gun, running across a battlefield. Like what? <laughs> And, you know, you hit the nail on the head. Like, if she gets bit again, what is going to happen to her? He should be hiding behind her. I know. It feels and looks cowardice, right? But it also is pretty cool to be like, oh, the, the you know, she's taking the lead to, like, break him out of the place now, right? She's sort of, like, invulnerable at that point. And you're right. Like, he should be hiding behind her. <laughs> but no, instead, they go to the furnace. You know, they're going to end it together. And it's, that's pretty... This is a very nihilistic ending. This is super brutal. To end this movie with everybody basically dies and the main characters, like, well, one, okay, technically one's already dead, but they commit suicide together, you know, because they can't live with their love. Like, it's insane. (laughs) Again, very Romeo and Juliet, except, like, this is completely on purpose. Just sacrificing themselves together. Okay, so I think they use this in one of the other films as well, that someone burnt themselves like that. Or cook themselves, whatever. In the first one, one of the old guys uh, like crawls into the crematorium, right? He, he's at the. They're across the street from the morgue, and he crawls like into the cremator at the end. Yeah, and then that smoke goes up into the clouds and rains down and starts the whole thing over again, which is why they have to nuke everything. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. Okay, so she can't really feel pain anymore, but he just got bit. Right. Do you think he also can't feel pain no, anymore? No, he's not dead yet. He's clearly still alive. Like he hasn't he hasn't fallen over, he hasn't thrown he hasn't done anything. He's showing no signs of being, you know, anything remotely close to a zombie. He's not shivering, he's not pale. He's still a human and he's going to feel every second of that. So yeah, not so bad for her. This is going to be really painful for him. Which, I don't know how they could have otherwise done it together. I guess that's the whole point, is that they want to go out together at the same time. Otherwise, you know, he could have shot, she could have shot him, he could have, like, shoved her into the oven. I I don't know how they would have done it on the count of three. I push, you shoot. It's more of just, like, poetic, right? It's just more of the idea of, like, they're going out together in a blaze of glory, no less. An actual blaze. Yeah, cooking themselves. I don't know, yeah, like, I guess they could have, like, freeze-gunned themselves... He, they could have waited until he had turned into a zombie, right? Like, it couldn't, it wouldn't have taken that long. Another five minutes or something, or find a gun and shoot him in the head, and then he'll come back, and then they jump into the furnace together. I like Oh, that. true. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking of that. Then it wouldn't have hurt. <laughs> yeah, and he would have <laughs> been call. such a, he would have been such a fresh zombie that he could have still been like, take my hand, we'll be together forever. And she's like, where? And he's like, the only place that matters. Once again... We're rewriting the movie. <laughs> but that's not to say I didn't love this movie. And, I, you know, I hope you enjoyed it. I'm, I'm glad you were here to discuss it with me tonight. Yeah, I mean, again, like, I, I appreciated that it was coherent. You know, it has its flaws. But overall, I was happy to be introduced to this series at the very least. Yeah, I mean, you got to go back and check out uh, some of the Romero ones. You know, I, I was going to do Day of the Dead and this this month but there's so many other horror movies to get to like i'm not even going to save them all for october next year i was thinking of doing day of the dead for day of the dead this series went on like i mentioned earlier there's a part four called return of the living dead necropolis and then there's a part five called rave to the grave and there might even be a part six at this point but from what i can remember theatrically released overseas direct to the sci-fi channel here in america from what i remember So, (laughs) unfortunately, you know, series took a nosedive. It says Necropolis and Rave to the Grave came out the same year. Oh. Which which is interesting. I've never seen those. Uh, Well, let me restate that. I've never seen those in their entirety. I've started them, but have not been able to finish. But also, in all honesty, the last two Romero ones weren't that great either, from, you know, from what I remember. So... 
it got to some point, you know, and I think, you know, now with like Walking Dead, the show and everything, like it, there's just like a, there's just like a lot, right? There's a lot of this stuff. There's a lot of zombie stuff out there. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's it's a genre in itself. Like, it's, yes, it's part of horror, it's part of slasher, it's part of the gore thing, but the zombie genre is just another genre in itself. So, Brian, before we wrap up here, is there anything about this movie we didn't cover that you want to get off your chest? Anything you must talk about that uh, we didn't mention at all? No, I don't think so. Um, all I was going to say is I'm in the same boat with you. I think I'm going to take a break from horror on High School Slumber Party for a little <laughs> bit after this uh, Women in Horror series we're doing this October. But you and I both have a plethora of horror films to choose from. There are a lot of high school horror films, and there are a lot of third film horror films. So I have a hunch, I have a feeling that down the road, you and I will be getting together for some more horror, more sooner than later. I would bet on that, let's just say. (laughs) So where can my fine listeners find you when you aren't unofficially co-hosting over here on Third Time's a Charm? I was going to say, at this point, they could find me here pretty much all the time. (laughs) Uh, But of course, on High School Slumber Party, and you could follow me on Twitter Instagram and Facebook, all High School Slumber Party there. Just look it up and you'll find it. And of course, you and I are both proud members of the Cage Club Podcast Network, and we're on tons of stuff, tons of Cage Club stuff, including my other show, P.S. I Love Hoffman, which I host with the foodie films man himself, Kyle Reinfried. And we talk about the films of Philip Seymour Hoffman. So, yep, you can find me a lot of places. You could find you a lot more places, but. <laughs> Will we find you trick or treating this October on Halloween? I don't know. I don't know. You know, like, part of the nice thing about being an adult is finally getting trick-or-treaters. But I've been thinking about maybe um, getting a Halloween costume. I just procrastinate so badly. So I really, really have been thinking of being Cher from Clueless. I want to find, like, the checkered pants instead of the checkered skirt and be kind of like a... Maybe like a genderless Cher, you know, like I wanted to do something High School Slumber Party. And as you know, like Cher's iconic yellow plaid, it's just been on my mind. So I think I could find a suit version of that and just be like, hey, you know, son of Cher. That's <laughs> that kind of sounds horror film in itself. But I don't know. You know, there's plenty of high school film characters. I don't know if I'll have the time. Who knows? On that note, Brian, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. That's going to do it for this episode of Third Time's a Charm. I gotta thank Brian, and be sure to check out his shows, High School Slumber Party, P.S. I Love Hoffman, and P.S. I Still Love Hoffman, the last two shows he does with his co-host, the foodie films man himself, Kyle Reinfried. Go to cageclub.me to find links to our Patreon and Threadless sites, Threadless pages, as well as the entire back catalog of all the shows on the network, including all past episodes of Third Time's a Charm. Rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever podcasts live. Write to me at 3 at cageclub.me, T-H-R-E-E at cageclub.me. And also be sure to check out the TomTom Club, where Joey and myself are going through the complete works of Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks. That's Cruise Club and Hanks for the Memories, alternating every Friday, because Fridays are for fun. So until next time, stay alive, and I'll see you later. That's a magic number. Yes, it is. It's the magic number. Three. Three may stub at me, and that's a magic number. What does it all mean?